Open your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I could preach to entertain you this morning. I could teach, I could preach a sermon to you that would be pleasant to your ears. I could preach a sermon that some might want to print as some of the preachers in our city. But I'm John the Baptist, a voice in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Amen. And we prepare the way of the Lord by turning from our transgressions and repenting in order to make ready a people for the Lord where he's not going to come. I can look and see hundreds of topics that would be interesting, entertaining, pleasant, easy, exciting. But that is not what the Lord's given me yet. And until he does, we'll stay in a similarly vain theme, and that is for us to pursue holiness and righteousness as we just read in the 19th Psalm. Amen. And I want to do it this morning from the 11th chapter of Hebrews, where I'll read three verses to you beginning at verse 24. Hebrews 11:24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Please follow with me this morning and let me be your servant and help you think about these three verses and what they teach us about the pleasures of sin for a season and choosing righteousness rather. He made his choice when he was 40 years old. The Bible tells us that. He was very distinguished in the government of the Egyptians. Great in word and deed. You can read about it in Acts chapter 7. He was not just an adopted son. The Lord had prospered his way so that in word and deed, he was well trained and very accomplished. He was eminently successful in the government of the Egyptians. He had everything at his disposal. Women, riches, privilege, power, opportunity. He had it all. And when he was 40 years of age... The 24th verse tells us when he was come to years, all you young people remember that, when he was 40 years of age, come to years, come to maturity, he made a choice. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was Pharaoh's grandson, and he was an accomplished grandson. He was not a grandson that caused shame. He was one that was famous in Egypt. But he made a choice. He refused it. I don't want it. I don't need it. I reject it. There's something better. The 25th verse tells us that he chose, instead of that place of privilege, to suffer affliction with the people of God. There was in Egypt at that time a peculiar people that lived in the land of Goshen who were shepherds by trade, despised, despicable, and the lowest scum to the Egyptians. But they were the people of God. They were the the descendants of Abraham. And Moses one day went down to visit his people. That was a choice. Go read it in Exodus chapter 2. He went down to visit his people. And he saw one of his people being oppressed by an Egyptian. And he made his choice. He delivered the saint from the worldling. And with that choice... He made his big choice. Egypt is not for me. It's the people of God that I choose and righteousness. He chose rather to suffer affliction because they were an afflicted people. Their cry was coming up to heaven for reason of the bondage that they were under as the pharaohs used them as slave labor to build their tombs. Moses chose that rather than all that Egypt offered him. How did he make such a choice? 
Because he knew that the pleasures of Egypt were the pleasures of sin, and they were only good for a short while. Because he esteemed, that means he valued, he valued something more important than those treasures and riches. He esteemed the reproach of Christ to be made fun of, to be ridiculed, to be afflicted, and to be despised as a faithful Christian was more important to Moses than to have all that splendor, opportunity, privilege, and pleasure in Egypt. He made a choice. He valued those things and saw that one was far better, so he chose it. And he despised these little pleasures of sin for a season. Do you know what? He practiced faith. Verse 6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And Moses diligently sought him because he gave up so much. That was faith. The verse tells us that, the 24th verse. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused. He did it because he believed there was a God, and he did it because he believed there was a reward that was greater than the little pleasures of sin that are but for a season. He practiced real faith for us. Brethren, sin is a choice. I'm your servant this morning. And I'm your messenger from the Lord of hosts. Sin is a choice. Your entire life is nothing but a long string. It's like a a, a string of beads. A very long one. With each bead being another choice. You will make so many choices today about what you will say and what you will do, what you will not say, what you will not do, what you will think and what you will not think. And that's all of your life. And sin is a choice. Moses made a choice. And thank you, Lord, for putting it there in Hebrews chapter 11 for us to read and be provoked by it. Adam and Eve made a choice. God said, do not eat of that tree. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but don't eat of that tree. They made a choice. They ate of that tree. Sin is a choice. Lot made a choice. Abraham said, Lot, we're too big to live live together. Our flocks are too large for us to dwell together in the same tents. Choose what land you want to raise your flocks. And Lot chose the plain of Jordan where there were cities named Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were sinners before the Lord exceedingly. That was was known. Lot made a choice. Sin is a choice. God doesn't make you sin, brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren, James chapter 1. You choose to sin. All men have chosen to sin. But I want to tell you, brethren, there's other men in the Bible that made other choices. Joseph made a choice. Joseph was in the warm, perfumed arms of Potiphar's wife. He was captain of Pharaoh's guard. She was not a dog. She was a fine Egyptian woman. And she wanted him desperately. And he made a choice. I'm going to refuse the pleasures of sin for a season... And I'll suffer the reproach of whatever comes, but I'm going to honor my God. And I'm going to serve Him. Joseph is a blessed character in the Bible. And the Lord was with him. Mm -hmm. And he was afflicted by Potiphar and Potiphar's wife's lie. But even in prison, the Lord was with him. What a great story for us. He made a choice. And he made the right choice. Adam and Lot did not. Now Achan made a choice when they took the city of Jericho. They were told not to take a single thing out of that city. But Achan, when he was in there, saw some beautiful Babylonian garments and some silver and some gold. A wedge of gold, and he took it. He made a choice. He'd been told not to. He saw, he thought, he admired, he took. And sin resulted. He made a choice to sin. But I read about Ruth, a little Moabitess woman. They're living in the land of Moab, and her mother-in-law says to her, I've got to go back to my country of Israel. I don't want to stay here any longer. You girls, why don't you just stay here? This is where your family's at. This is where everything is at. All that you're used to, your language, your culture, your religion, your gods, why don't you stay here? 
And Ruth said, do not tell me to leave you. I want to go with you. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you're buried, I'll be buried. She made a choice. Her sister made a choice too. She went back. And let me jump ahead of myself just a little bit. Was there a reward for our little sister Ruth? Is there a reward? Who was her great-great-grandson? David. Who was her great-great-great-grandson? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because she made the right choice. Sin is a choice, and she made it. I've got goosebumps. I love her. Her sister had the same opportunity, and she didn't make it. Lot had the same opportunity as Abraham, and he didn't make it. He ended up in a cave with his two daughters, creating two perpetual enemies of the nation of Israel, while Abraham was the friend of God. Is that a big difference? Is there a big difference in their lives? It was a choice. It was a choice, brethren. David made a choice one time to stay at home and not go to war. When it was a time for kings to go to war, he made a choice to take a walk. He made a choice to look. He made a choice to consider. He made a choice to inquire. And he made a choice to take. Sin is a choice. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But brethren, I read about a Daniel who had a choice. He, he made a choice in his heart. I will not defile myself with the portion of the king's meat and wine. Daniel chapter 1. He made a choice to bring upon him all the fury of the Babylonian government because he refused to take their diet. Was the reward for his choice, brethren? Amen. Did he get promoted rapidly? Yes. You know, we talk about the fast track in American business circles. Was Daniel on the fast track? He went from a captive eunuch, (laughs) captive eunuch, to sitting one of the three presidents under Nebuchadnezzar. Is that fast track? Now, how did he get there? He made a choice to serve God. We make many choices every day. Right now, you're making them to listen or not to listen, to like or to dislike. To submit or to rebel? Right now. And you're going to make them the rest of this day, and tomorrow you're going to make them, and guess what? You can't live without fulfilling what I've just told you. Your life is a string of beads, a string of choices, and we better be making each one in faith to please God and to reject sin. And my topic this morning is, as John the Baptist would preach it, the pleasures of sin for a season. They're but for a season. There is a reward to the righteous. We saw it in Psalm 19. We are warned to be delivered. We're warned by the word of God to be delivered from his judgment. But we are also told of the great rewards when we choose God with our choices. Sin has pleasure. Moses was in the court of Pharaoh. There was sin everywhere. They were pagan Egyptians. They had no regard for God's moral law. You could do anything you wanted, and you had all the capital at your disposal, and you had all the authority at your disposal to make it happen. The reason you don't, haven't, when you wanted to, get into all sin was because you had two limitations, and they were severe. Capital and authority. Moses had them both. There were times in your sinful rebellion where you were hindered by your limitations. But Moses wasn't hindered by his limitations. He could have anything he wanted. Sin has pleasure. There was lots of pleasure in Pharaoh's court. Lots of wild women, as many as he wanted. Lots of money, lots of power, lots of authority. He could have built a big estate. But he rejected it. Sin has pleasure. I wouldn't be an honest preacher if I didn't tell you that. Why wouldn't I be an honest preacher? Because of a verse called Hebrews 11.25. That's its address. And it says that Moses made a choice not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin has pleasures, but they're deceitful pleasures. They deceive your heart and they trick you and fool you and will ruin you. Men and women are not given to craving sin for its pain, punishment, and consequences. 
They crave sin for the deceitfulness of its short-term pleasures. Let's not talk about men and women. Let's talk about ourselves. The reason we choose it is for its short-term pleasures. And I would be a liar to tell you that it doesn't have its short-term pleasures. But are they worth it? Are they worth it? Is what Moses would ask us. They are not worth it. The difference between them and the reward of God is so great they cannot be compared. And yet we do it every day without His mercy and His grace. We make a foolish choice rather than a wise one. You know what? Your old man can only see and promote the pleasure. You've got an old man that only sees the pleasure of sin and all he ever does is promote the pleasure of it. But you've got a new man... All he can see is the pain, consequences, and displeasing God in sin. And so you've got that conflict. And that's why we had a prayer a few weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 3, about verses 16 through 20, that we might be strengthened with all might in the inner man, that that inner man, that new man, would be promoting his cause, which is sin is not worth it. Let's think about Eve for a minute. Why did Eve eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because it looked good. Because it looked like it would taste good. And because Satan told her, this will make you like a god. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. She did it for pleasure. I'm under the point right now, sin has pleasure. Let's think about Eve's pleasure. Oh, Adam, look at how good this fruit looks. I'm not going to tell you what it tasted like because she never got the chance to enjoy it. But it's going to taste so good, Adam. Adam, just think. Once we eat this, you know God that walks with us and talks in the garden in the cool of the evening? We're going to be just like Him. And so she made a choice. God said, don't you dare eat of the fruit off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she made a choice to partake of that fruit for its pleasure. her Its perceived pleasure. Its deceitful pleasure. Satanic lie pleasure. Right. Yes, it looked good. I'll bet it was beautiful. Yes, it looked good like it would taste. Yes, it looked as if it would taste good. And yes, it looked like fruit. This is how deceitful sin is. It looked like fruit that could make one wise. Now, how does an apple or whatever it was, look like if you ate it, you'd become God. That's because she entertained Satan's lie. Right. Isn't that incredible? That's what the Bible says. It looked, it was like a fruit that would make one wise. When was the last time you got wise by eating the apple you were supposed to give to your teacher? My. But you, read, you can read it in Genesis chapter 3. But she made a choice, and she made it because of the apparent pleasure attached to it. Now I read in Judges 16 and verse 4 that in the valley of Sorek, Samson found a woman and he loved her. Do you think there was pleasure in Delilah? Of course there was. Sin has its pleasures. We're going to get to how the Lord describes those in just a minute. Just bear with me. Look at Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. There isn't a better book in the Bible in the book of Proverbs, for young men, for all men, especially for young men, to tell them about the folly of the pleasures of sin involving women. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous. That means she talks a lot. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house, on a seat in the high places of the city, to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Here's the pleasures of sin, she says. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That's the word of the Lord to us all this morning. A foolish woman that doesn't know anything 
will say to a young man or to an old man, stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Those are the pleasures of sin for a season. I'd be a liar if I didn't preach to you the whole counsel of God. Look at Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. When you are in trouble, or when you want something that you don't have that's not rightfully yours, there's something you'll do to get out of that trouble or to get what you don't deserve. And it's called lying. Look what the Bible says about it in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 17. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man. Proverbs 20, 17. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man. O men who lie and get away with something or who acquire something through their lying think that it is so sweet. How easy to get out of that trouble. How easy to avoid the consequences of my actions. How easy to get that or to get there by that little lie. They fell for that so fast. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man. Yes, there's pleasures of sin for a season. What do you think the prodigal was enjoying in a faraway country? Luke chapter 15. When he wasted his substance in riotous living, was there pleasure while he had the thick wallet? Yes. That's all we're looking at right now. Does the Bible teach it? Was there pleasure while his wallet was thick in that far country? Yes, daddy wasn't there to tell him, no, you can't do that. Mommy wasn't there to make him feel guilty and ashamed. He was alone in a far country on a business trip. And he wasted his inheritance with riotous living. Yeah, of course, he had some pleasure while he was doing it. Brethren, I read in Acts chapter 12 that Herod killed James with a sword. And what did he observe when he killed James with a sword? That it made the Jews happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, he got excited. He saw that it made the Jews happy. And if you're a politician, what do you want? You want your little people under you happy. That way you can continue to use them and abuse them when they're happy. Herod's, Herod made a choice. And he made it because of the pleasure. He saw that there was political expediency in killing these apostles of Jesus Christ. So after he killed James and he saw that the Jews were pleased by it, he took Peter also, intending to kill him. Yes, there's pleasure in sin. Yes, you might be able to get ahead by choosing sin over righteousness. But remember, it's called the pleasures of sin for a season. season. Let's talk about that now. Let's move to my third point. Sin's pleasure is limited. It's only for a season. That's what the Word of God tells us. And you know that I've left off some... They're called address B. When you read a verse like Proverbs 20, verse 17, you read the first half and not the second half. You read Proverbs 20, 17a. That's the proper use of Scripture. It's by clause. And I left off Proverbs 20, 17b because it wasn't my point yet. But now we get to my point. It's the pleasures of sin for a season. Let's talk about that season for a few minutes. Brethren, if you sinned your whole life, And it was a long one. I mean, you were 95 and still sinning with pleasure. Which nature doesn't allow very much, but you might be able to squeeze a little bit out. You send your whole life long with pleasure. Hell's quite a bit longer, isn't it? Is hell longer? A little bit? How do we define it mathematically? We can't. Because it's the infinite compared to the very finite. There is no comparison. If a man were to sin with pleasure his whole life long, and guess what? No man can. Because sins, the pleasures of sin are shorter than that. Jesus would ask, in light of what I just said, if you gained the whole world but lost your own soul... Was it worth it? Not hardly. How shall we compare the lives of the rich man and Lazarus? Did the rich man have the pleasures of sin for a season? Yes. Was it over quickly? Then what did he want? 
a drop of water. That doesn't sound very pleasant. That you need a drop of water to quench your parched tongue because you're in tormenting flames. But that's what the Bible tells us about the difference between the rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus laid there humbly, couldn't do much for himself. But I'll tell you, he was in Abraham's bosom. And he got to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you willing to lay in the gutter? Have the dogs lick your sores? Because you know that there's an eternal reward for the righteous. And it so greatly exceeds the pleasures of sin for a season, it is the infinite compared to the finite. And the finite, I'm going to squeeze down until there's nothing hardly left in it, and I'll prove it to you from the Word of God. Amen. Even though I could prove it to you from experience, as all wise men could in this congregation. Amen. What shall we think of the rich fool who said, Wow, my job's going so well. I'm going to tear these barns down and build bigger ones. Baby, we've got it made in the shade. Sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. Is that the pleasures of sin? But it, how short was that? That night. Very short. He had his architect over, who was on a constant retainer, at his house, laid down, laid out the plans for these big barns, and what does the Word of God say? This night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then whose will all this stuff belong to? Whom will all this stuff belong to? Pleasures of sin for a season. Brethren, you can't even boast of tomorrow. You don't even know what a day will bring forth. Don't you talk to me about the pleasures of sin because you cannot presume on anything, not even breath for tomorrow. Look at Job chapter 20 with me. Job chapter 20. The sin's pleasure is limited. It's very limited. The first point, the first aspect of that that I wanted to mention is even if you were to sin your whole life long and you lived a long one, how does it compare to hell? This is why we have preaching. Because if you don't have someone from the Word of God reminding you about the torments and the length of hell, you will make your decision based upon the pleasures of sin. Right. You need to stay awake. You're making a choice. Right. If you've got to stand up, then go in the back of the room and stand up. If you need Mountain Dew, go buy it. If you need no doze, ask for it. This is important for you. It's important yeah. for me. If we're, if we're not reminded of this, we go and make this, this string of beads that makes up our lives. We make it foolishly and impulsively and based on the pleasure that's looking at us when we should be making it in view of things we cannot see that we only hear here that's here h-e-a-r here h-e-r-e the world doesn't tell us about them you've turned to job chapter 20 the whole chapter is fantastic Amen. the point of job chapter 20 is get it the joy of the hypocrite is short. It is a fabulous chapter. Now, I get greater blessings than maybe you, but I do have an outline. Now, I've combed Job chapter 20. It's beautiful, but I can only read you a few verses. Verse 4 is where I'm going to start. Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short? and the joy of the hypocrite, but for a moment. Though his excellency mount up to the heavens, and his head reach unto the clouds, yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. They which have seen him shall say, Where is he? You like plain speech? This is the word of God. I love it. Robert Schuller doesn't use this passage. Nor does Charles Stanley. Nor does hardly anyone else today. But this is the Word of God. I, I kind of like the seventh verse. Because it describes what happens to the hypocrite. And brethren, if you think you can get away with sin for a while, well, I'm going to worship God and sin. You're not worshiping God at all. You're just trying to serve yourself, and your joy is but for a moment, and you're going to perish like your own dung. 
And if you don't like words like that, then get up now and leave and say, I can't stand the God of heaven and earth. Because that's the way he talks about it, because that's just how we perish. We turn into fertilizer. Isn't, don't we all turn into fertilizer? You know, put me under a nice plant. At least have something for me. Stone never changes. They used to. Oh, I guess they'd put markers up for a long time. The point is, we all turn to fertilizer. I'm still being polite. Aren't you all proud of me? You know how the Word of God should be preached in the 20th century tongue, don't you? Okay. That's what we should think about sin. And that's what we should think about our own lives. You ain't nothing but dung in 20th century slang by thinking that you can be a hypocrite and get away with it. That's the pleasures of sin for a season. They're dung. Brethren, sin only pleases the flesh for a very short time. It leaves the spirit empty, guilty, vexed, and confused as to why it wasn't fulfilling. Sin is horrible. It's so deceitful. Now I want to ask you a question. Did Adam and Eve get a second bite? We're talking about how temporary are the pleasures of sin. Now, I meditate on these things. I come to you because I I really want you to think about that question. Did Adam and Eve get a second bite? When they took the first bite, what happened? Their eyes were open, and all of a sudden, they saw that some horrible consequences had just occurred between them. Don't. That's what the Bible says. All of a sudden, these innocent man and woman who were enjoying the greatest honeymoon getaway the world has ever seen with the whole paradise of God at their disposal, were all of a sudden ashamed and naked before each other, and they dropped that fruit and grabbed fig leaves to to cover their nakedness. Now let's talk about that sin. How long was the pleasure? Can you... What was the consequence? The first one in the world... Because the first one was so bad with such horrible consequences, because the first one was so foolish, does that mean that everyone else came after his properly hated sin? No. How long is ungodly and wicked sex pleasant? Minutes? Hours? How about drinking? The pleasure of it? Partying? Lying? covetous ambition, harboring anger in your heart, envying someone. How long is it pleasant before, as the Bible says, it becomes your master and your enemy and destroys the peace of your soul? How long is it pleasant to not train your children before they grow up and make you ashamed? How long is hating someone pleasant to you? All the sins, they may be pleasant for a moment, but it's a very short season, brethren. Sin does not satisfy. It teases and deceives your heart with shallow pleasure. And then when you've committed it, you're wondering why you're so empty and that sin was so empty. And you should be angry and hate it because the devil's lied to you and you believed him. Your old man has lied to you and you believed him. Sin has deceived you. It doesn't have pleasure but for a brief moment, and then it's gone, and you're empty, confused, guilty, and ashamed, and ruined. So we come to the fact that sin has natural consequences. Look at Psalm 36. Psalm 36. Lord, help me. It's not by volume. It's not by outlines. It's not by verses. It's by your spirit. Psalm 36, verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes. 
until his iniquity be found to be hateful. That is how sin deceives. He flatters himself in his own eyes, thinking he can get away with it, thinking that it's going to be lasting pleasure, thinking that it's very meaningful, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. My point is sin has horrible natural consequences. Doesn't it ever bother you or cause you to wonder why those that are set forth as the glamorous ideals of our nation and generation, the stars of Hollywood, the athletic heroes of our country, why, as a segment of the population, they have a higher level of suicide, divorce, drugs, and therapy for problems than any other segment of our population. Don't you wonder about that? But they are the ones put on our television as the, the glamour life. If it's so glamorous, why do they have to escape it with drugs? If they are so, their Hollywood love stories are so wonderful and they're so filled with romance, why are they always divorcing one another? If life is so wonderful making lots of money, like 20 million for one movie, then why do they commit suicide? Look at Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Life is a choice, brethren. Sin is a choice. Moses made a choice by faith. Will you make it? Proverbs chapter 7. Sin has natural consequences. Verse 22 tells us this is about a strange woman again, a man who's being led astray by a woman. Verse 22 says, He goeth after her straightway. Man, he just can't turn to the left hand or the right hand. Just goes straightway after her as an ox goeth to the slaughter. Now, is that a compliment? As an ox straight to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. An ox, when you have a bunch of ox penned up, cattle, and you're going to slaughter them, you have that big pen funnel itself down into a narrow track. And guess what that ox thinks? He has freedom to move, doesn't he? Do we call it freedom when you can only move in one direction? He rushes right down that narrow path, that's hemmed in on both sides by fences, straight to the assassin's bullet. The knife in the days of the, of the writer of Proverbs. Straightway. And they trot, right? They're milling around in the pen. They can't move. But when they're given that little bit of freedom, there they go. And where are they going? Brethren, sin has natural consequences. They're going to their slaughter. Verse 23, till a dart strike through his liver. As a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Do birds move quickly? Oh, they move so quickly. And they come into a garden or some place where a man's laid a snare for them, and that bird is moving around so quickly, and then lands in the wrong spot, and it's all over. That bird is caught in a snare. Sin has natural consequences, just like... That's what the Bible's telling us. Right. Sin has natural consequences, just like an, anim, a, an ox moving down toward the slaughter or a bird flying around and landing on a snare. Drunkenness. Think about it with me. Drunkenness. Yeah, I'm going to go out tonight and get smashed. Hey, did you hear? Johnny's going out tonight to get smashed. Isn't he cool? Johnny's going out tonight to get smashed. Yeah, I'm going to get smashed tonight. I'm going to get smashed out of my mind. Wow, there must be a lot of pleasure there. There must be a lot of pleasure for them to be talking that way. Let's think about their pleasure. The drunkard gets sick, shames himself, Wastes his money, wastes his time, loses his memory of whatever did happen, loses his job, has a hangover the next morning, builds a horrible addiction, 
and kills a child with a car and doesn't even know he did it. Sin has natural consequences. And yet, the Bible will tell us that a fool who is not taught by the Spirit of God and not taught by the Word of God, the next day will go do it again. And this, their folly, is their way. Oh, Johnny, he's so cool. That's horrible. An affair. I finally found true love. Wow, we love each other so much. Sin has natural consequences. An adulterer destroys four souls. He destroys his own and his spouse's. And the other party and their spouse. Four souls. Four, two marriages and two families forever. The pleasures of sin for a season. Turn to Proverbs 28 and verse 1. Sin has natural consequences. You say you're wrong about adultery. Shut up. You say if nobody knows, then it's only two part, two souls. Shut up. You can never live, move, love, ever again in the same way unless God works a miracle. It's horrible. And yet our entertainment industry sets it forth as, listen, there's, there's marriage manuals that tell you the best thing you can do for your marriage is to have an affair. Absolutely. Proverbs 28, verse 1, natural consequences of sin. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You want a natural consequence of sin, it's the automatic guilt that comes and all of a sudden you're a fearful, weak man. Right. Righteousness makes men bold and great and mighty. Because they have nothing to hide. You're not worried about being caught in a lie. You're not worried about being caught with a woman. You're not worried about being caught drunk. You can be bold. Righteousness makes a man bold. But if you choose that those pleasures of sin, you will suffer the natural consequence of losing your boldness. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 9. Let's see those consequences again that I didn't read the first time. We've been to this chapter. We read verses 13 through 17, where the woman that knows nothing, but oh, she's got a body. Yes, all women have a body. All women have a body. She's got a body, but she doesn't have a mind. She doesn't know anything. But she says, stolen waters are sweet. And as you turn the faucet on, they are. Just like when Eve took the piece of fruit, they were. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant, she says. But the young man that went her way, he knoweth not that the dead are there. Her home, instead of being a pleasure palace, as it might be named, is a funeral home. The dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. This is the word of the Lord. Sin has natural consequences. It destroys your life. Does everyone in here know enough that I don't have to turn to Proverbs 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 on this same subject? Do you know that he repeats himself over and over in these first 10 chapters of Proverbs where David is writing about his own experiences and trying to encourage his son not to do it? Amen. Is this enough? Yes. That's why it's for young men and other places in Proverbs that I just read from chapter 9, the warnings are repeated over and over again because it is such a horrible sin and because men think there's so much pleasure attached to it. Romans 6.21, the Apostle Paul said, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Isn't that a good text? For the end of those things is death. We're talking about the natural consequences of sin. When you see righteousness and living rightly, you look back and you say, you've got to be kidding me. What was I doing? I'm ashamed of those things. 
That is stupid, foolish, wicked. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Paul's ridiculing the Roman saints for the way they used to live. And that's what we need to do. That's why I have been preaching this to you. I did it two weeks ago, that we need to hate sin more. We need to learn to hate sin. We need to look at a verse like this and see there is no fruit. There's shame. We should despise it. Therefore, instead of just saying, well, the pastor doesn't want us to watch television, that shouldn't be the reason you turn it off. You should turn it off because you hate sin and you love righteousness and you love Jesus Christ and you would rather choose the reproaches of Christ than you would the treasures of Hollywood for a season. They will not make you happy. Every one of those movies will leave you hopeless and disappointed because they have no hope. They have never written a script yet that left anybody with any hope. Not one. Show show me and I'll tear it to shreds. Because Satan is behind all movie writing in Hollywood and he has no hope and he cannot let you have any because the only hope there is in the universe is in God himself. Their movies are all hopeless. No one ever lives happily ever after. Ever. Think about it. If you think you've got one, show it to me. I like little projects like that. I will help you gain understanding about who's behind the production of Hollywood movies. It's a shame. Have you ever read the story of Amnon and Tamar? Amnon was so vexed in his soul, he wanted his sister so badly sexually that it just destroyed him. He had to have her so bad. And so he finally concocted a plan with a friend of his. He he feigns that he's sick, invites her in, forces her even though the character of that girl is so wonderful. What a woman. He forces her. And what does the Bible say about the natural consequences of sin? He hated her as soon as it was over. How long was it? Come on, guys. Come on! How long was Seconds. Seconds. It was over. And he hated her more than the love that he loved her with. Now, isn't that ridiculous? Doesn't that tell you anything about sin? Amnon, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? Do you know, Amnon, Amnon lived two more years. Do you know how he lived for those two years? That 730 days. Do you know how he lived? The Bible tells us, yep. when is Absalom going to kill me? That is a good way to live. Absalom was quite a man too. He wasn't going to forget. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. When is Absalom going to kill me? What pleasure? Seconds. And he hated her. Did Absalom kill him? As much as you dislike Absalom. He had some zeal. He deceived his father in doing it. It wasn't done properly. But the Lord understands vengeance. If you don't think the Lord understands vengeance, why did he have seven cities of refuge? Wow. Yes. Yes, let's watch those movies with fornication. Indeed. No, let's read the Bible about fornication. Go take a look at Amnon because that's what really happens. Because as soon as he had her, there's nothing there anymore. That was my sister. How disgusting. And he hated her. Horrible. You say, was the man vexed? For a long time. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Brethren, if you neglect your spiritual life, are you going to suffer for it? Yes. That's a sin. If you neglect the training of your children, which I've preached to you, which I can't re-preach everything, can I? So you've got to remember, if you neglect the training of your children, are there going to be natural consequences? Yes. When they get older, they're going to shame you. And they're going to give you grief until you go down into the grave. You say, I sent them to school. So what? That's not training them. They're going to take you down into the grave with gray hairs. With grief. If you neglect your marriage, you're going to suffer for it. There are natural consequences. Some hate themselves. The Bible says if you love your spouse, you're loving yourself. So if you don't love your spouse, you must hate yourself. Wow, that must be a great existence you're living. I'm excited. I love to see the glow on your face. 
If a husband loves his wife, the Bible says he's loving himself. And it says no man's ever yet hated his own flesh. But why will a man choose to be bitter against his wife? Critical, harsh, negative to his wife. He's doing that to his own flesh. Sin has natural consequences. Brethren, sin has spiritual consequences also. Sin gives place to the devil. And I want to tell you something about the devil. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you, and if you give him a place in your life by playing with sin because you think it has a little bit of pleasure, he will not let you go until you are in the tombs cutting yourselves as a lunatic naked. Satan will not be content with you until he has destroyed your soul. If you give him a foothold, if you crack the door, he is going to open that door and get your soul. You cannot play with sin. There are spiritual consequences to sin. See, now I'm dealing with something that's out of sight. The devil himself. You sin, it is reported to the devil immediately. And he will take advantage of that sin you, you just gave place to him. You just gave him a room in your life. He will destroy you. And if Jesus Christ does not pray for you and rescue you, it is all over. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. He will not leave you until you're a raving lunatic in the tombs. Then he'll leave you because he's accomplished all that he wants to with you. It grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit of the living God. You play with sin and think that its little pleasure is worth it. Naturally, it's not even worth it. Naturally. It's not even worth it. Naturally. If it was worth it naturally, then Holly would be happy. It would be happy would. But they're not happy, because even naturally it doesn't satisfy. But then when we bring to bear the spiritual, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, the Holy Spirit of God is God. Amen. No more explanation, nothing. The Holy Spirit of God is God dwelling in you and you sin, you grieve, you offend, you frustrate, you irritate, you anger the Spirit of God. And you do not want the Spirit of God to be grieved, offended, frustrated, irritated with you. You lose your power and might to choose righteousness. You get weaker. Sin gets more powerful. You lose your desire for confession and repentance. If you're ever facing a sin and you say, well, I can go ahead and do this and then confess it afterwards. I want to tell you something about sin. Sin will let you in the front door, but it won't let you out the back. Right. You'll do that and you won't be able to confess it because it will deceive and harden your heart. That is a presumptuous sin of the highest magnitude for you to ever look at a sin and say, I can confess it after I'm done. And God knows the difference between sins of ignorance, sins of impulse, and sins of presumption like that, that you think he is going to let you off easily. You are wrong about the Spirit of God. God does not owe you an instantaneous reaction to any of your prayers. Right. You'll prove your repentance. And guess what? Because you sin that way, you won't have any repentance. You'll mock at repentance and confession. All of a sudden, you'll have forgotten about it on the other side of that sin. Your soul is left empty, dry, lean, and painful. I'm, I'm sort of out of time, brethren, but I hope that you can remember verses. Psalm 51, where David is crying unto the Lord to restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and heal the bones that you have broken. David was not wearing any casts. They were bones inside, broken by sin the spiritual consequences of a grieved Holy Spirit. And he's begging for his last little bit of life. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You say, well, it looks so easy. David had his pleasure with Bathsheba. And then all he had to do was, I have sinned. And the Lord forgave him. Uh-huh, right. Very easy. David was a man after God's own heart. Do you know what you know what guilt meant to David's soul? 
Do you know how much he understood guilt? Shame? Remorse? Loneliness with God forsaking him? Read some of his psalms. Thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. I make my bed to swim. He cried so much. It still looks pretty easy just to say I've sinned. Uh-huh. And what happened to the baby? And what happened to Adonijah? Sedition against the throne. And what happened to Absalom? Sedition against the throne. And what else did Absalom do? All of his wives on the rooftop of the palace in sight of all Israel for the rest of his life. Pretty easy, huh? You're a fool if you think that for a second. You lose your hope and confidence of eternal life. The only way that your hearts can be assured before God that you have eternal life is by living righteously. 1 John 3, 24. That's the only way you can assure your heart before God that you are one of his is by living righteously. You lose the joy of your, the Lord and your salvation. You neglect your spouse. A sin is simple as that, right? A sin is simple as neglecting your spouse and your prayers are hindered. We're talking about spiritual consequences of sin. You're ruined spiritually with sin. You have to repent of it and clean it completely out of your life before you can even get started again with the Lord. And even to neglect your spouse, 1 Peter 3, 7, says that God will hinder your prayers. He won't listen to them. It vexes your new man, who's deeply offended by your hypocrisy and sin. I read that Lot did indeed go live in the city of Sodom, and yes, he was on the fast track there. Pretty soon he was sitting in the gate. But do you know what the New Testament tells us about him? Every single day, every single day that he lived there, his soul was vexed. Vexed is not a pleasant word. Vexed is to be severely irritated, frustrated, and grieved by what was going on every single day. The tortured life of the hypocrite. It brings the supernatural judgment of God into your life. He is a rewarder in a good way, Hebrews 11.6, but he's a rewarder in a bad way too. Psalm 18.26 says to the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful, and to the froward, which is the man who sins, especially presumptuously, thou wilt show thyself froward. God will become a froward God. And when God is froward, he can mess up your life, and he promises to do so. He messed up David's life, even though he forgave David. He messed it up intentionally for the rest of David's life. As a consequence for David's sin. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15? It says the way of transgressors is hard. Pleasant? Easy? Successful? Hard. Proverbs 13, 15. Moses begged repeatedly to get into Canaan. God wouldn't let him. Eli didn't restrain his sons. God wiped out his whole household so that his name would be cut off out of Israel, even though he was the high priest. If you can sin and not be chastened, you don't need to come next Sunday because you're not one of God's children. If you sin, you're going to be chastened, and God is very fair and just. That means you will get what it's worth. And sin is worth a lot because it's against an infinitely holy God. It'll take away the presence of God. And he'll leave you guilty and deserted until you confess and forsake it. Brethren, he's able to blow on your other efforts. The Israelites in the book of Haggai chapter 1 did not build the temple of the Lord when they were supposed to. And so everything else they did had God blowing against it. He will leave you with the demons of hell to torment your soul. You say, where do you find that in the Bible? I find in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, the lesson, the words from God to the Corinthian church and what they were to do with the fornicator, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Paul himself, another place, said that he had given up men to Satan to be tormented by them. That's a horrible way to live. That's a spiritual consequence from God for sinning against him. We have a choice to make. 
Moses made the right one. Joseph made the right one. Ruth made the right one. Daniel made the right one. And Jesus, our Lord, always made the right one. He always did those things that pleased God. Were there women that wanted Jesus Christ? How couldn't you be attracted to Jesus of Nazareth? You say, that's blasphemy to even say that. No, you're ridiculous. He was tempted in all points like as we are. What do you think that means? But without sin, brethren. He always saw it so clearly. Oh, sin for nothing. I couldn't ever. I wouldn't ever. But to please God, I'll always choose that. I'll always choose that. And I never want to ever raise before you again an example. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. Joseph sinned too. Daniel sinned too. Ruth sinned too. But Jesus Christ never did. He always chose the good. And he is our example. Brethren, we have a choice to make. The rest of today is a string of beads. What will you choose? Tomorrow is another bead. And in fact, it's another string. What will you do tomorrow? Jesus Christ offers abundant life with joy and peace. I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Choosing Christ is the abundant life. If you're in the flesh, you don't believe me. So get out of the flesh, brethren. Confess your sins and repent. Following Jesus Christ is the abundant life. If you don't believe it, it's because you're in the flesh. You'll never believe what I'm saying in the flesh. That's why we're supposed to come in the Spirit. There is an eternal reward that far outweighs any sacrifice or affliction here. That's what the Apostle Paul said. There is an eternal weight of glory awaiting those that will choose Him. For He said we walk by faith and not by sight. And the things that are seen are temporal for a season. The things that are not seen are eternal forever. Jesus Christ chose you in love. You, out of all the inhabitants of this earth, chose you in love for an eternal inheritance. How can you offend Him and choose anything else but Him? The Apostle Paul would say it's impossible Because Paul was moved by that love. The love of Christ constraineth me. Do you want to meet Jesus Christ with joy and confidence rather than shame? 1 John 2.28 says it's your choice to meet Him with confidence and joy rather than shame. One view of His glory and holiness should turn every sinful choice into into a horrible thing. I read that Peter, even though he was pulling so many fish on board, he was sinking two ships. He turned to Jesus and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When Isaiah saw Jesus Christ, or the Lord high and lifted up on that throne, Woe is me! Seeing Jesus Christ properly, seeking Him, praying for Him to reveal Himself by His Spirit, reading about Him in His Word, will cause you to hate sin as you should. And brethren, remember the flood. Remember the flood. Second Peter chapter 3 says, remember the flood. Right. It says that there were mockers in that day, but that there was a day when God put everybody in the ark and closed the door, and then he destroyed them all. There's mockers today, and he's going to burn up everything. I could turn you to Second Peter 3. You know what it says? If everything's going to be melted, then why are you worried about them? Right. If everything's going to be dissolved, quit pursuing it. Pursue Christ. Choose Jesus Christ and obedience to Him over all these things that will be melted and destroyed and taken away. How do you ever show the Lord you love Him? By what you'll exchange for Him. Moses exchanged Egypt for the reproaches of Christ. What have you given up to choose the Lord Jesus? You try to keep your life You try to keep your life by protecting 10% of your money, your unhappy marriage, because you don't want to humble yourself. Try to keep your life. You're going to lose it. Lose it for Jesus Christ and give him his way in everything that he says. You will find your life. And if you're a child of God, it's the only way to find it. If you're not a child of God, I've only got one thing for you. Go sin. Get your belly full of it. 
It's your heaven. You don't want to miss one bit of it. Brethren, if you're born again by the Spirit of God, though, this morning, we have choices to make. Let not the pleasures of sin for a season deceive you at all. Let's choose the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is on the Lord's side? Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.